Welcome back to another episode of The One Show. We can't wait to hear every week because we want to hear what's happening in the market. That's the real estate market for those of you who haven't tuned in before. Welcome back to This Week with Wendy, the only show where you find real talk about the real SoCal estate of mind. With your host, Wendy Ross, who after decades of working at real estate brokers in Silicon Valley and Orange County, she decided it was time to create something different, and so she did. That's when Veracity Real Estate entered the market. Time was certainly right for a renewed commitment to bespoke client advocacy at all price levels. Yes, we said all price levels, something you don't see very often in high-cost markets like Southern California. And through it all, she's built a company of data-driven real estate investment advisors, which she'd call nerds, who are truth seekers and truth tellers. And truth be told, she's got some startling facts with her. So, Wendy, what'd you bring with us today as we wind down the last days of February here? Good morning, Paul. I love that. You know, I, I believe in nerds. We're going to rule the world one day if we don't already. I mean, come on. Look at Bill Gates. <laughs> Look at Bill Gates. You know, and I went to school. It was horrible to be a nerd. Now we're now we're trying to teach our kids to be nerds. Yeah. We're bringing sexy back. <laughs> one nerd at a time. Exactly. That's why I surround myself with nerds, you know. And I, I know that you say this because you probably have to, that I'm your favorite show. But I, I know I'm your favorite show. Because I bring something different, right? You really do. And I'll tell you, you know, yes, I, I have a tendency to be a little hyperbole here. Ah, our favorite show, our <laughs> one show, our welcome show. But anybody who tunes in, just wait till after the break because I can't wait to ask questions. I, like the audience, can't wait to hear what's happening in Southern California's real estate because isn't that where we really made most of our money for most of us here? For most of us, it is, absolutely. And, and for me to think that I have all the answers would be um, grotesquely naive. You know, it's you know, I bring a different perspective and I try to bring a different fully evolved analysis to what's going on, because, yes, real estate is our biggest investment, but it's all part of a much greater context. And the why we buy it and the how we buy it, I mean, that's nuanced per individual. So, you know, part of the way that I can bring this more unusual market analysis and a unique perspective to the whole process is by surrounding myself with experts and people who are smarter than me. And that's people like Philippe, you know. When we surround ourselves with partners like this who give us well-informed information from a variety of perspectives, we make better decisions when we're managing the biggest investment we're likely to ever make, which is our home. You know, for mo- for me anyway, it has been so. Yeah, that's that's why we have Mr. Ertel here today, managing director with Catalina Capital Group, and he drove really far to be here. So delighted to have him, bringing decades of wealth management experience. And I wanted him here on the show today to again talk about what it's like right now in this volatile time managing portfolios. Obviously, there's global issues going on, and then. Bringing it down to home, everyone's asking, how does this affect my home? Should I make an investment now? Should I not? And he's going to give us some some exposure and some insights into that. So, Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. <laughs> but first, of course, I'm going to make you hang on. And because it is called This Week with Wendy, every week I give a really quick snapshot about what has gone on in the Orange County real estate market. Good old classic supply and demand. I just I should have you play some horror music, Paul, because it's just not done, 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 done. Yeah, right. Totally. All right. So in the last week, we did get 392 new listings on the market in this county, which is great. That was up 14 percent, and I'm happy. The only challenge is we needed 1,200. So moving in the right direction, just a little bit more slowly than I would like to see. We put 493 of them under contract in escrow, and that was down 12%, but I think really just because there was so little to buy, 
Uh, we did sell 499 homes in the last seven days. That was up 14% from the week prior, which sort of explains as swiftly as they're coming onto the market, we're crushing them into escrow and they're selling just as fast. Our median time on market, get this, it's been trending down, which I didn't think was possible. Six days. We are putting homes under contract countywide in six days. Is it going to get to six minutes someday here? And people are going to be lined up or as soon as you put the sign up, they're going to start writing offers here? Paul, I can't type that fast. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope not. Our median price, and I say this every week, and I can't em- emphasize this enough. We can't look at the median price weekly, and if we see it tick up or tick down, get alarmed. It's just a weekly bumping along the road. But the overall trend over months and, of course, quarters and by the end of the year is what's most telling. We did have our median price in Orange County increase last week to 995. It was 965.888 the week before. So that's a 3% increase in seven days. I was wondering, all right, does this mean that um, we're changing the way we're listing our prices? Um, are we pricing them higher? And that has been relatively unchanged. So no, it's, it's a function of just the supply and the demand. Our list price to close price ratio was still 105%. And that was down from 106% last week. So regrettably, we're trending about the same. You know, we're 25% behind last year in terms of active inventory so far, month to date. But we're only 10% behind last year in sales. So even though so far we're trending with very little to buy compared to last year, and last year was really skinny, um, it's looking like it's going to be a hyper-aggressive year. So I really think that we're going to end up catching up or surpassing last year's sales, uh, again, which is crazy because there was no inventory last year either. Remember that last year we had something like 19% fewer sales over the prior year, but we sold 18% more than the year prior last year. And in 2020, we had 22% less inventory over 2019, and we sold 27% more. COVID has been very good for Orange County. It's, it's this freakish anomaly. I think the whole universe has decided they just want to live in the EOC. So they're making me nuts, and I want it to stop, and I don't think it is. So that is why Philippe is here to help me understand what's going on. So that said, <laughs> thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Before I get into our questions about you know you and what you do and as a wealth advisor and, and your opinions and things, you have the most exquisite accent. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about where you got that. I was born and raised in Switzerland and came to the United States for college at the age of 18. Marvelous. And you stayed. I stayed. Met my beautiful wife here and that was the reason I stayed. Isn't love grand? Yes. See, a lot of my clients migrate or don't migrate because, you know, somebody fantastic came into their lives. That's beautiful. So we have a, a multicultural European here to give us a global perspective, right? No pressure. <laughs> no, not at all. He's setting the bar pretty high. <laughs> all right. So let's start with the fundamentals. First of all, what does a wealth advisor do? Sure. A wealth advisor is hired by clients in order to achieve, to help them achieve their financial goals, right? That being retire at age of 50, buy their dream home in Newport Beach, um, you know, be philanthropically inclined, you know, mm-hmm. everybody has a different target and a different goal. But our goal is basically to work both sides of their balance sheets in order to help them achieve their goal. What does that mean? So, you know, clients of assets, mm-hmm. you know, those are retirement assets, liquid assets, real estates, right? Those are all the assets they will have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do portfolio construction, financial planning, and help them sort of have a vision of where they want to be at and what kind of risk are they willing to undertake as part of their overall asset allocation. So you curate their plan. Correct. Okay. But then we also work with the liability, right? I mean, 
the biggest one for most people is the mortgage, mm -hmm. right? And how do we guide people towards getting the right type of mortgage, not getting over their heads, and so sort of providing the right, you know, uh, framework for them to be able to succeed. Exactly. You know, a few weeks ago, we had someone on the show that does reverse mortgages. Mm -hmm. And there has been so much reform in that space that it's mm -hmm. no longer the dirty word that it used to be. Right. You know, and that was one of the ones where by the time we took a break, Paul's head was exploding. We had so many questions. So, yeah. So stay tuned, Paul. We're going to do it again. It's going to happen. All right. So having said all of that, you're looking at their hard assets, their liquid assets, mm -hmm. their liabilities. And I would assume that these plans get tweaked and they, they're massaged and they evolve over oh, time, right? Certainly. I mean, life throws curveballs at you, right? Mm -hmm. and you, like you, suddenly you're having twins or something. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I think, you know, most people have a general idea of what they want to achieve. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, relocation came into play, you know illnesses, good and bad things will happen in life. Mm -hmm. So I think it gives you a roadmap, but it's not carved in stone. I think you take this roadmap and you tweak it over time, unless something really drastic happens. And sometimes, you know, you have to sort of start from scratch again. But that's basically what we do. We sort of yes. quarterback them and bring them also the specialists that they will need in mm -hmm. order to achieve what they need, right? Um, I'm not an attorney, so trust in the state. We will bring the right partners there, right? Oh Real estate and yes. all those aspects. You know, we know our limitations, but we'll quarterback their their financial needs and mm -hmm. help them achieve what they want. No, I'm curious. How do you get most of your clients? Now that we've been doing this for over 20 years, I would say it's by word of mouth and referrals. Uh, mm -hmm. We've never advertised or anything like that. So I would say um, CPAs are a big source of referral for us and investment bankers for people that actually sell you know, a mm -hmm. business or something of that nature. And um, suddenly they have this cash event. And, uh, correct. Yeah. And you know, we, we as a firm have a lot of entrepreneurial clients. Um, I would say that's the bulk of our clients. Really? Yes. And I think it's because you know, we are entrepreneurial ourselves. And I think people connect with that. They know what we encounter and mm -hmm. we know what they went through, right? There's a sort of a similar talk there that helps them understand what it is. You're walking the same path, right? Yeah. And, and entrepreneur, entrepreneurs tend to be a little bit control freaks. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> and as a result of that, you know, a lot of them, you know, uh, are reluctant to seek advice for a long time. But very often, you know, with age coming, you know, the liquidity event happens and a lot mm -hmm. of them recognize that it's a one of a lifetime event. And often the spouse gets involved too and say, listen, you know, we need to plan something for ourselves and right. make sure that this is going to last us for how many decades we have left. Mm -hmm. right? uh, yeah, because we're not going to live forever. As much as we want to think we are, we're not. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think, you know, financial anxiety is real for most people at different levels, mm -hmm. you know, and we often say, you know, clearly money's not going to bring you happiness, but it can relieve a lot of the anxiety. You know, when the net worth starts increasing substantially, it creates other sources of anxiety, sure. right? Because who is a true friend? Who is not? Why are they around me? Those questions are genuine and do mm -hmm. exist. But it does relieve the anxiety of how do I make the next rent payment? How do I make the next car payment? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have to deal with that for a long time. So we help them with that. I'm, I'm curious. Did you see a change in anxiety level during COVID with your clients? It's a good question. I think it depends on the net worth, right? That makes I mean, sense. we have clients that have, you know, 500 to a million dollars mm -hmm. of liquid net worth, and mm -hmm. we have clients that have over $50 million mm -hmm. net worth. I cannot draw a line exactly at what level it changes, but somewhere around, I would say, I know the number seems high, but around that five, seven million range, you know, above that level, I would say the level of anxiety was 
limited yeah, they were to non-existence. Yeah. They, um, yeah. People that have been doing this, you know, um, have invested in the market for a long time and they look at this as an opportunity. Mm. They're a little bit more contrarian because the likelihood of them running out of money is pretty slim to none. They Fair. would have to do something really out of the ordinary for them to, to put themselves in a situation of losing capital. Under that level, yes, I think so. But suddenly things change really fast. And I think yeah. we went from, I don't think there was a lot of anxiety because it happened so fast. So there were a couple weeks where people were a little concerned. Mm -hmm. Mind you, no one had ever lived through a pandemic. So it, it kind of came yeah. out of nowhere a little bit, mm -hmm. right? And no one was really prepared. And I think very few wealth advisors had a turnkey solution on how to handle this, right? It rebounded really fast. And I think that kind of V-shaped recovery that mm -hmm. we saw people forgot about it really fast. I would say by the summer of 2020, uh, even early summer 2020, it was a non-existing fear. Yes. Um, it's interesting. I mentioned the Mexican-American that I had dinner with last night, and he was talking about how, in his opinion, from a global perspective, the United States handled the pandemic in terms of changing public policy suddenly and government assistance and things nimbly enough to enable the small businesses, which are the backbone of the American economy, to weather it, you know, without too much upheaval. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, without making a political statement, we mm -hmm. did flood the market with a lot of liquidity and mm -hmm. salvaged a yeah. lot of what could be salvaged. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so know. we'll have to see how that sets out. But you're right, without getting political about mm -hmm. it, you know, we're still in uncharted territories. But it's been interesting, to your point, a lot of people who were contrarians or opportunists, depending upon one's perspective on it, some of them made really good investments during COVID. Oh, yeah, certainly. I think we saw people that are pretty risk averse mm -hmm. being willing to take some chances. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, uh, everybody, especially people that have no experience in investing or little experience in investing, always trying to grab the bottom of the market. Sure. It never really truly happened. But I think if you have a right strategy and you can stick to it and mm -hmm. rebalance the assets correctly, refinance, for example, when the time is right, right? This is a work in progress. And I think that's what a lot of people get sidetracked and distracted of that. You know, they like to do it for a while and then mm -hmm. it becomes a job. Sure. And um, it's tiring. Yeah. It's time consuming and it's not always fun. Some people enjoy doing it and mm -hmm. some people just don't have the mindset for it. But, you know, we, I know we, I don't. That's why I need people like you. Yeah. I mean, it's it, and also you don't necessarily have the time to do that. Right. Fair I mean, point. you, you got to really think, is your day best used by trying to maximize your assets or by mm -hmm. generating the income? Right. Different people will give you different answers. Absolutely. But I, I always bring it back to, I know I can go home and, and make a loaf of bread. It is not the highest and best use of my time, nor my resources. For me That's to make exactly one right. loaf of bread with, you know, ugh, you know. That's exactly right. Yeah, I don't want to try and learn. And, and some know. people also, we've noticed, if there is a little bit of uh, lack of understanding of how it functions, how mm -hmm. the market do, mm -hmm. um, inertia sets in. Yeah, and, and that's probably the one thing that people may want over time to avoid. Right. Um, I see that a lot in my world. Yes. And I think uh, that's something that has to be addressed. And, you know, being active doesn't mean being risky necessarily. It means do something with mm -hmm. it. Right. Make your money, make your assets work for you. Be proactive. Exactly. Right. Well, and, and given all of this and because selfishly it's I'm in real estate. So when you look at people's portfolios now and just in general, what percentage of it do you think should be real estate? Well, when you look at real estate, there's primary residence and maybe even a secondary home. Mm -hmm. I think this is part of the portfolio 
but it's a roof over one's head, right? So I almost mm -hmm. tend to exclude it in the sense the of, residents, the primary, absolutely, right? Because yes, I think we go back to the conversation depending on the net worth of the people, sure. right? When your net worth increases, the percentage of your primary residence of the total of your net worth starts declining really fast, right? And we right. see a lot of clients where it's like 25, 20, or even lower than that, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. There's only that much real estate you can do in your primary residence, mm -hmm. right? With reasonable means. So for those people, I would say, you know, real estate becomes less and less, the primary residence being less and less substantial in the total. Now, for the average person who mm -hmm. goes to work and needs mm -hmm. a loan to acquire the property, that is going to be the biggest asset that they're going to have, potentially and, for a long time. And that's most of my clients. And that's, that's actually most of the population. That's most people, right? Not all of our clients in that situation, but some of them are. Some of them are because we know that because of their age, mm -hmm. they will never quote unquote, graduate to that level where they are going to be basically financially free mm -hmm. with no concerns. Mm -hmm. And others is because they're up and coming, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, time does matter. I know that these days, you know, you see a lot of very young, talented people achieving sort of that net worth earlier and earlier in life. Mm -hmm. But they remain exceptions. For the majority of the people, it takes decades of work in order to achieve that kind of financial freedom, of stability, and exactly. Well, having said that, so there's the, the typical worker bee mm -hmm. who's out there making their first big investment in, in real estate so they have a home. What are your opinions about how they finance that? I mean, the use of leverage or not? Because there's many different schools of thought. Yeah, I think, you know, if you look at that, I think you first of all look at how much can you really afford, mm -hmm. right? I think the question becomes then, how much of your total disposable income should be allocated towards your real estate expenses? Mm -hmm. You know, if you if you want a conservative side, you say probably somewhere in the thirty to forty percent range. If you need to stretch a little bit because you're in a higher priced market or because you could see a trajectory where your income is upward sloping, then maybe you push it a little bit more in the low forties, right? Right. But even that, I mean for me and I'm I'm mm -hmm. most comfortable, and, and my clients tend to be like me. We're more in like the 20 to 25 percent range, but yes. Correct. I'm just thinking, you know, if you need to make that first step to get and, in the market, and it's difficult, right? It is. It, it's very expensive. Um, one thing I would say, though, is two things. First of all, we tend to not recommend going over 80 percent leverage. Oh, interesting. On the purchase, okay. right? Because, you know, it doesn't give you that much flexibility, but also, you know, mortgage insurance comes in and different things like that. And mm -hmm. lenders don't necessarily price the loan as well when those oh, kind absolutely. of issues. So, and, so it, that's, and you can't write that stuff off as it, a rule. It, exactly. So mm -hmm. we tend to be a little bit more conservative as far as that. And then the question becomes, do you want a principal and interest payment or do you want an interest only payment? Well, you know, high net worth individual, I think, with a net worth of several million liquid mm -hmm. tend to almost gravitate towards interest only loans. And the reason is that they can always sort of pay off the loan at any point in time. And do you right? find they have the discipline to make those extra payments? We see a lot of them that actually don't. They tend to, because they have equity in the properties and because they have liquid asset, they look at the property as an investment mm -hmm. and they basically look at it, what is the cheapest leverage I can get? Mm -hmm. And what can I do with those payments that I'm not making towards principal, where else can I invest them? And is there a better yield on that? Mm -hmm. And that's what we tend to see. Mm -hmm. Naturally, that does not necessarily apply to everyone because, sure. you know, you do have interest rate risk. And if you cannot pay it off, you may be squeezed at some point or another. So I think that conversation of the interest only loan has to be a little bit more cautious when it comes to the average borrower. I agree. And I, I have found 
and I can't speak to this technically. Like I can't tell my client, I don't think you have the temperament or the discipline for this because that's outside my wheelhouse. I think it a lot, mm-hmm. but there are some people and, and there are some people I also think you should not own a house. It'd be like giving you a horse. You wouldn't know the first thing to do with it. It's like, this is, you, you just need to rent a house because you don't have the capacity. But again, that's not something I can say. Yeah. And if you, you know, we, we, we've seen over the years, people getting into interest only product because mm-hmm. that was the only way they could afford a house. Sure. And they may have had a, one or two really good years income wise that allowed them to qualify for those loans and that's usually a pretty big warning sign that you mm-hmm. are sort of ahead of yourself and right you you're way probably, out over your skis and you know we know it's expensive to live in southern california but maybe you need to scale down and yeah. maybe you need to be a little bit more patient to wrap the interest only conversation i would say yes but for the right clients if the net worth is you know it's, more yeah. more traditional high net worth individual then the conversation shifts because they actually are actively redeploying those funds elsewhere. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. If you are not redeploying the funds mm-hmm. and you're spending the funds Correct. to maintain, now you're getting yourself into a situation where technically you are renting your own house. Yeah. You're really never making an acquisition. Now you can bet on a real estate price appreciating and over time that bet mm-hmm. has seemed to be logical. But there are also step backs and if you do it long enough, you know that real estate is sometimes, you know, a treacherous market. And I think yes. usually you're going to refine and you're going to need to do those things when you don't want it to do it. That's very well, unfortunate. And that's, that's a fair point because we're coming out of the lowest mortgage interest rates in mm-hmm. history, mm-hmm. basically. And so down the road, if people are forced to refinance for one reason or another, they're not going to get these rates. They remain low from historical standards. Right? They're not where they were six, eight months ago, right. where we, we saw bottom that, bottoming out. But you know, you can still get a very qualified 30-year mortgage today in, in the low threes. In my opinion, in my humble, very old, 50 plus decades, well, 50 plus years on earth opinion. I remember back in the 80s when I worked in mortgage and we were dancing around when interest rates got below two digits. It was like, ooh, it's 9.875, like Mm. dancing around with this is amazing. And when interest rates hit 6%, we thought, this is amazing. And and here we are, people are griping if they're paying over three and a half. Yeah, and interest rate, you know, is only one component, right, of what really makes it uh, interesting to be a, a homeowner. On, on to the next important mm-hmm. topic. So when someone's got a, a mortgage interest rate of, let's just even say four, because they went up to 3.9 something last week reportedly, and inflation, they're saying we're running at 7%. How do you think those two f- issues intersect? Yeah, I mean, I think the inflation conversation is going to you know, slow down at some point or another, okay. right? I mean, there's the, that's almost a bad word in the financial market. Is it transitory I or know. not, right? And, and I think the answer is some of it is and some of it is not. Uh, you know, the supply chain issues is potentially transitory, right? Sure. And it's going to slow down. Mm-hmm. Uh, wage inflation is not transitory. When, when you do that, it, it's really inelastic and mm-hmm. people are very reluctant to go down. So I think, you know, you can still see inflation in 2022 and you might see some in 2023. But I think, you know, with rate rising, you know, the supply chain issues coming to an end, hopefully, mm-hmm. I think inflation will remain higher than what we witnessed for a while. But I think we might have peaked or we might be close to a peak on where it has been. What I have heard, and again, I'm not an economist, is that our inflation was so low, this was inevitable. I mean, this had to happen. We had to stabilize things a bit. You know, we we injected a lot of money into the markets, mm-hmm. and you know, we. money the, the Federal <laughs> the Reserve did, right? The Federal Reserve <laughs> did, and as a result of that, you know, this money has to find a place, and you see it everywhere. You see it in real estate, and and some stocks prices, right? Some mm-hmm. of them were price, were really trading at values that were kind of ludicrous. 
They were aspirational. Yeah, that's one way to describe it. (laughs) And then, you know, you see it everywhere else. You see it in art everywhere. Money needs to find a way somewhere. So that's interesting. When you say art, what are you thinking of? Anything. Like Banksy? The whole phenomenon? Potentially, potentially, right? I mean, painting, sculpture, Mm -hmm. anything. Could be even NFTs, even though that's Mm -hmm. kind of like... I'm not an art expert, right? And I, I appreciate that. art, but I'm not an art expert. So, but you see it at auction, right? I mean, you see that's true. We're you setting see it records. everywhere, uh, setting prices, and you know, um, I think you know we see that COVID has created one more greater divide. Um, higher net worth individuals are richer they were compared to the mean uh, three, four years ago, and yes. that allows them. You know, you, you see it in the residential real estate market, in art, in philanthropic mm-hmm. uh, endeavors. You know, it, it keeps kind of being built up. And that's something I have been um, complaining about, I don't know, decrying, is that we are bifurcating our economy, especially in Orange County, at at such an accelerated pace. I mean, we are the haves and the have-nots. The middle class is pretty much going away. We we live in a society that rewards capital over labor. And I know not everybody likes to hear it, but it's a fact. It is possible, you know, to put yourself in the situation where you can increase, right? And we're not talking here to 0.1 percentile, right? That's mm-hmm. not what we're even talking about. Mm-hmm. We're talking just that upper range that is more comfortable and can sort of jump on that train and mm-hmm. participate. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's going to carry you entirely, but mm-hmm. you have at least some participation in it. Right. That's the goal. Whereas and, and if you're worried about where your next meal is going to come from, clearly you don't have the same opportunities. Correct. It's challenging. Well, and given this, a lot of the people that are in that like upper 10, 20% are business owners. And a lot of people have this conversation with me about with all the tax reform and all the changes uh-huh. and what we can and cannot write off, they say people who have businesses and have business write-offs don't even need to buy their own home. What are your thoughts on that? Again, is it the home is shelter and, and treated as such? or I, I think, you know, if you look at it as a place to live and you kind of not look at it as an investment, mm-hmm. that maybe is a different conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it depends what you want to do. I think a lot of people like the home because it is a sanctuary. It mm-hmm. is something they can rely upon. They build family, you know, stories and everything goes there. So sure, it's a I'm not saying necessarily no. You know, the tax code is clearly, you know, changing and will keep changing. I think, you know, looks like we'll have a little bit of stability for the coming few years now, depending on what happened in November of this year. Um, I don't think you, you should expect dramatic Upheaving of what's going to go on in the more in, fun, in the tax market, but in general, I would say I'm not opposed to a business owner owning a home. I think a lot of them do. Yeah. Where we see a little bit of issues sometimes is when they start also getting into commercial real estate uh, where they rent to themselves. Yeah. So that's sort of kind of like snowball a little bit. So some of them can create illiquidity, and I think that's kind of the conversation with uh, business owners is how much illiquidity can they tolerate? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean. It sounds cliche, but cash is king, right? It is. Maybe not in a higher inflation environment. You still have to make it work. But being liquid does bring some value. Mm-hmm. And business owners tend to have a lot of their net worth concentrated in their business. And they don't feel it's risky, by the way, because they control it, right? It's right. kind of that control freak kind of issue that we Me versus with. the big bad landlord. Now, I'm technically my own landlord. Yeah, that's correct. Mm-hmm. So they own commercial real estate. They own an illiquid business. And then they have a home. Their liquid net worth sometimes is pretty thin. It's suffering. And so they have to be mindful of that. So I don't say no. I just say it depends on the people and how they want to handle it. That is a really, really interesting observation. Now, 
how does this affect the ultra high net worth people? Do you see them making the same sort of investments in commercial property for their businesses? Are these high, ultra high net worth people business owners? I mean, who are these people? Some of them are, some mm-hmm. of them have been. Yes, there is a pretty large chunk of real estate allocated to high net worth individuals. Uh, usually you will see two type of investments. Mm. You will see what I would call a core, and it could be through a private REIT, a private limited partnership, could be through owning you know, the real estate for an operating business that they have. This is, uh, in my opinion, more of an income generating, inflation hedge type of an investment, kind of a pseudo bond replacement. Okay, so just okay. part of a greater strategy. Yes, so they do that because it stabilizes the portfolios and generate the income and some appreciation. That is pretty core. But mm-hmm. then you will also see them going what I would call value add, um, where there is really appreciation potential. They don't invest in so real estate. buying for the upside. Correct. And they usually don't do it themselves, mm-hmm. right? On those, they go, and there are some really, here in Orange County and elsewhere, really good managers that will do that, mm-hmm. that will allow them to be limited partners, mm-hmm. uh, not have to worry about the leverage, right? Mm-hmm. The, the fund will take the leverage. So they're only l- committed to their capital. And they will do that in order to get price appreciation. And, 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 and this, ironically, even if we have a great market, there is always a niche. There's that always is always something that is not working. And you just need to rotate mm-hmm. to the right managers that will get you that. And now you're talking to, to my client again, because in the residential space, I'm always looking for where are these opportunities. And not necessarily opportunity zones, like we hear mm-hmm. for development and stuff, but... Things like, I'll share it with the world. I think I said this before, Long Beach, California. Mm-hmm. Long Beach and Dana Point, I have long been saying, if you want to buy a property and have a good upside, buy in those two places. I mean, Dana Point is reinventing itself. And their appreciation, the median appreciation in Dana Point over the last three years has been 60%. Holy mother of God. I mean, where else do you see that? That's ins- and you get ta- tax write-offs. So if you're going to buy a condo for Timmy, go down. Yeah. Or Long Beach. I mean, they're seeing some softer appreciation now but a great number of the 2028 summer olympic games are going to be at facilities facilities that are being built in long beach right now so it is the last affordable beach city it's a great place for a rental property so Mm -hmm. exactly so i i dig that whole buying for the upside but all right and and of course i could talk all day paul knows this but we're going to take a quick break and, and paul would you please help us by talking about our sponsor this week Absolutely. Well, as you prove week after week, you certainly surround yourself with a a top tier of strategic partners. And one of them is the top tier law firm, Ford & Dulio. Ford & Dulio is an Orange County-based boutique litigation firm with experienced attorneys from big law firms. So it's a small firm with big law firm expertise. The partners who founded Ford & Dulio on the concept of aligned interest, which simply means when they succeed, you succeed where they're rewarded for being efficient and effective and not dragging the litigation out endlessly, and where they engage in the relentless pursuit of their clients' goals, whether in litigation, mediation, or at trial. They're bulldogs. They fight for you. So if you want to find somebody like that, why don't you go check them out? FordDiulio.com, just like it sounds. F-O-R-D-D-I-U-L-I-O. FordDiulio.com. Wendy, how much time have we got? Where do I get to start with this guy here? As much time as you want, Paul. <laughs> it's my station, so I guess I could That's say that. That's right. Though. Bring <laughs> it. It's your show, though. I could ask a lot of questions, but the one question that always is on my mind when I get somebody like smart about the economy like you is everything is inflating except the interest rate at my bank. I'm still getting 1%. <laughs> <laughs> and in the Carter years, 
we saw 18% uh, certificate of deposits or whatnot. Are we going to see that same thing catch up, or is there something different this time? Yeah, I think you may see a little bit of an increase, but I think, unfortunately, you know, uh, in the environment we're in and the way that banks are are being rewarded to to make money, I think you can pretty much cross the idea of really having, you know, CDs or any kind of money market really earning you money. And, and more importantly, I think it's going to trail inflation in general. So I think it's it's an okay place to park cash ahead of a liquidity or a purchase or something like that. I really don't think over the long term you're going to be well rewarded for doing that. And yet I was taught like so many, particularly as an entrepreneur, cash is king. So you mm-hmm. always kept cash more than you needed for like for three months or six months cash sitting around. And that hasn't paid off for me over the last mm-hmm. few years. I've been sitting cash at 1%. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult. You can look. There are some online uh, banks that are providing you with slightly higher interest rates. I went to one. I found one that was a two. Yippee. <laughs> <laughs> you doubled your money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 20x. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's about probably where you're going to be at. And you might see a little bit of higher yield on those accounts, you know, um, enhanced liquidity accounts over time, but that's probably where you're going to be at. So you're telling your clients to go against that time old maxim of keep a lot of cash on hand, particularly if you're self employed, and to put it into something else that may not be as liquid. That was the problem with real estate and everything. Yeah, you could make money at it, but if I need it, you know, the, mm-hmm. the next great thing happens and I suddenly have to draw it out. I can't get it out quickly. Yeah, Maybe I, I can at six days or six minutes to sell your house. <laughs> I, don't know. I think you do keep some cash, right? Everybody does. You know, mm-hmm. everybody has to be comfortable with a time frame being three months, six months. I think it depends a little bit, right? Um, I think entrepreneurs tend to be a little bit more conservative as far as that. But anything else, I think, you know, you don't need to take a lot of risk, but you do need to put it to work, being Mm -hmm. in real estate or somewhere else, you know, make your money work for you as hard as you work for your money. I mean, otherwise, you know, um, inflation and and things like that can be a little bit like um, diabetes. They can be a little bit of silent killers, right? Over a year or two doesn't make much of a difference. And maybe, you know, last year at 7% was abnormal. But over a five to 10 year period, uh, you will feel uh, that loss of purchasing power. For what sure. a fabulous yet very disturbing analogy. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, right. Thanks for bringing, bringing in the creepiness. Um, <laughs> and so there's a burning question that obviously I didn't ask and I have to because it comes up every time anyone speaks to me and it's like, well, the market's going to crash. I'm just going to wait. Thoughts? Well, um, well, one can argue that year to date, we've seen a pretty healthy correction already. And I will answer to you that more money has been lost by waiting for a correction than in correction itself. I think, you know, you need to do your, uh, your allocation correctly. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to sleep at night mm-hmm. and figure it out what it is. And I think a good rule of thumb would be to say, don't think in percentage terms. Think in dollar terms on the way down, right? What dollar amount starts making you uncomfortable? Right. And do you own something that has a permanent impairment loss of capital? Right? What does that mean? Well, you cannot really recover that investment, right? That investment, you know, and, and you could see names potentially of a couple really hot names that were traded over the last two years that are now down 60, 70, 80%. Okay. Um, you know, uh, my mentor asked me on the very first day of work when I started in industry, do you know, Philippe, what is a stock that is 90% down? And I said, no. He says, it's a stock that goes down 80% the first year and 50% the second year. And the reality is when you see those kind of very heavy corrections, mm-hmm. uh, it almost 
almost puts kind of like a dome over those names because people will buy them at discount and then make some profit and sell them. So it's going to take a very long time. It doesn't mean your capital is permanently lost, mm -hmm. um, but it's going to take a long time. So I think if you have an investment that has no impairment of that nature, mm -hmm. time sort of cures a lot of those issues. And you can do it in a very informative way. Well, and with people like you who are actually studying what's going on, in my opinion, is the informed way. And I'm not trying to be a commercial. I'm just saying, no, I don't have time to learn what what to even look at. Well, and, and you will see, you know, you actually make more money by losing less, as counterintuitive as it is. If you protect well on the downside, you don't necessarily have to to, to hit for the home runs. I think, you know, a lot of people, a lot of very smart investors have a certain level of return that they're expecting, mm -hmm. inflation plus name it, certain mm -hmm. percentages, mm -hmm. and basically, you know, try to hit the singles and the doubles. You don't need to hit the home runs. Um, well, like if baseball, batting 500 is really good. Exactly. And, you know, you, you, you can maybe put a few percentage points in things that are a little more sexy and can give you more return. May or may not work out. Mm -hmm. But I think if you build it correctly and you have a financial plan and it's been designed and you know what kind of rate of return you need, you know, you'll get it. I, I think one of the things that we see more and more, but I think it applies to finance and in wealth management, I think it's in society in general. People just go on social media and get some tips and friends. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's 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 ironic, right? They're always the smartest on the way up, but on the way down, they never tell you about anything. Right. And, um, you know. You Suddenly know, they're very, very quiet. I I assume the Reddit crowd was really smart at getting out of those trades <laughs> before it corrected, right? But you don't yeah. hear about that. You don't. You don't. Well, what's interesting is, again, last night there was this dinner conversation and someone was saying, well, the, the market's going to absolutely crash. It's going to melt down. And the only thought in the back of my mind, of course, selfishly was, holy crap, does that mean they're going to take all their money out of the market and put it into real estate again? Because <laughs> I can't take one more buyer. I just can't. There's too much pressure on this market. Yeah, I think some people, you know, will look for pocket of weaknesses. I think the smart investors do that, being in real estate mm -hmm. and stocks. You know, real mm -hmm. estate tends to move a little bit slower than the market, right? There's mm -hmm. not necessarily a daily pricing. Maybe there's a six-day pricing, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's not every minute. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, smart money will find its way. All right, so smart money investors, if you're feeling like this is scary and you want to invest in real estate, just call me. We'll go look at Dana Point. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's upside in Long Beach. We can do that, too. So, yeah. Oy. All right, enough. It, it makes my head hurt. So, And we don't have as much time as I would want, but I'm gonna stop the shop talk here and talk about Philippe. So I think I warned you that every week I ask guests my own little version of the famous Vanity Fair Proust questionnaire, so <laughs> now it's all about you. So question number one, what city do you call home? I live in La Cañada. Wow, how long have you lived there? Almost a decade now. Interesting. Ooh, yes. And what made you select La Cañada? Um, I love the small town feel. I love being in the foothills, you know, yes. the mature trees. Yes. Uh, every home is a little different. You know, it's very quaint. It is um, charming. Yes, we, we like it there. And, you know, we have young children, so it's also a great school district. Aww. So that does count for How us. How much fun was that during COVID? Were you all just hanging out Oh, together? it was fantastic. Uh, but I have to be honest, um, you know, we have a, a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, and they were really good. Mm, uh, good. The seven-year-old specifically made a lot of efforts. Uh, to go online and follow everything. Um, there were some days that were challenging. We'll leave it to that. But sure. overall, overall, I think, uh, you know, we learned one thing. We just, just 
thought we should have bought a bigger house. <laughs> I get that a lot. <laughs> he was clearly missing your room. I get that a lot. I've sold more five-bedroom homes in the last two years than I ever have in my entire career. Yes, and that fifth bedroom would have come really handy. But we didn't have it, so we made without it. You make do. You make do. Okay, so obviously we've covered a little bit about your home and why you're there. What do you love most about living in La Cunada? It's really residential. There is very little retail or anything else of that nature. Um, so very homey. Very homey. People have been there a long time. Our, some of our neighbors have been there a long time. So it's pretty stable as a community. And we like to go out, you know, it's full of trails. Uh, we can walk out and it's convenient. You know, it's close to downtown, you know, mm -hmm. 20 minutes. It's close to Pasadena and Glendale. And it's kind of a little bit off the beaten path, you know. But you as the kids get older, they won't feel isolated. I don't think so. Yeah. I think, and it's still, you know, even though prices have gone up quite drastically and it's becoming a little bit of difficult as an entry level community for a lot of, you know, mm -hmm. uh, families kind of in formation, if you want. Yes. Uh, it still is a community that has a lot of uh, children. And I think because of the school district specifically. Yeah. Family formation is actually a hot part of my end of January market report. I'll mm -hmm. send it to you so you can see that's Great. It's, a big, it's a big driver. So tell me, if you have one, what is your most treasured possession? I mean, kind of want to answer your family, right? Always oh, kind of, kind of like in ways. Your answer, like, darling. Yeah, you know. But if you're looking for an item, um, I worked really hard for a number of years to acquire a Jonas Wood painting. Um, yes, that's impressive. Yes, yes. And when did you acquire said painting? Last year. Fabulous. Yes. And where does it hang? It hangs in my office. Very nice. Um, At you know, work office or home office? Home office. Oh, good. So the family can enjoy it. Yeah, my kids don't really think it's anything great. Um, <laughs> one told me the colors don't really appeal to her, and the other one told me I could have drawn that. I She'll said, grow into I it. would, I would love for you to have that talent. The family would worship that kind of talent. So hopefully you do. <laughs> As the daughter of an artist, I understand that completely. Oh, Paul's asking who is Jonas Wood. Oh, Jonas Wood is a contemporary um, American artist. I think he's in his mid forties. And, um, you know, some of his pieces have gone to auctions at really uh, impressive prices. Um, mine is really, really small. It's six by seven inches. So I couldn't really get the big mural. Um, that was not in my price targets. You'll but, have to send uh, us a picture of it. Yeah, well, I will. <laughs> a picture of the picture. <laughs> a picture of the picture. Exactly. All right. So I um, did a little bit of sleuthing about you online. And I see that you've gotten involved with charities that have programs for children, mm -hmm. as well, of course, as being an international, a global citizen, and you're a father, mm -hmm. and you're an entrepreneur, and you're a, one of the most prestigious CFAs, and it's, it's an amazing dis designation. Of all of that, what would you say you think of as your greatest achievement so far? I think my kids and family, you know, I never, it, it was, you know, something that my wife and I, we've known each other a very long time, and we were sort of kind of late to the game. Oh, please, Pasha. <laughs> but, you know, finally, you know, we have our ch children and everything. But, you know, um, for me, it's it's a long way from home. I came alone here. I was mm. 18 years old. So I think to be able to recreate that environment. Um, How beautiful. Yeah, that, that has been something I'm pretty proud of. It was hard work. It was, yes, it was raising it was, humans, you think? Yeah, and, you know, setting up a business and all those things have taken a lot of time, sometimes away from them, to mm -hmm. be honest. Long, long work hours. But I'm pretty proud of what I've tried to achieve, you know. I came as an... I didn't have anything when I came here. And, and I had a scholarship everything. to go to college. That was about the extent of it. That's awesome. Yeah. And now you're helping others create their families and their legacies. And it's yeah, so beautiful. Trying. 
So I know um, I have a sense of who you are professionally, but personally, do you have a personal motto? And if so, what is it? In French, we say, si tu veux, tu peux. If you want, you can. Oh, nice. So I tell that to my kids every night before they go to bed. And I live by it. That's yeah. wonderful. Are they bilingual or trilingual? They are bilingual. We try the trilingual thing, but it's really difficult with one parent speaking two languages. Sure. So, you know, they go to school and with mom it's in English and with me it's in French. That's wonderful, though. And with my mom now, uh, you know. Um, Grandmama. Yeah, for grandma, you know, to be able to speak with her. And, and we went last summer, you know, of course, we, we skipped 2020 with COVID, but we'll go back this year and try to to get them to see, you know, their cousins and their family and, and interact. And I don't think there's any greater education for children than international travel and seeing that people on the other side of the globe are just like us. Yeah, you know? and they see, they see not that different. And, right. you know, they, they find uh, with children, it's really easy, right? I mean, yeah. with their cousins and everything else, they, a couple minutes and they're just like speaking the same language. That's it's it's kind so of fun. true. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And I'm so glad that you're able to do that, yeah. and that your mother can see your children. So, all right, I'm going to have to wrap it up here. But before we go, I want to make sure that our listeners know how they can get in touch with you. So how can they reach you? Sure. Um, they can go on our website. It's uh, CatalinaCap.com. Catalina, like the island. Or find me on LinkedIn as well. Okay, perfect. And can you spell your name? Because not everyone's going to be able to find you. Mm, yes, for sure. So it's spelled O-E-R-T-L-E. And even Philippe, I screwed that part up. Oh, yes. It's P-H-I-L-I-P-P-E. So one L, two P's. Two P's. That's the part I keep messing up, people. So don't make my mistake. Thank you so much for sharing your story and oh, being here. It's just a delight. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. We'll have to have you back, you know, later in the year so we can talk about, you know, the, the update on what happened. <laughs> sure. Did the market fall out? Like we have already said, Ford and Giulio is my favorite. I mean, they underwrite the show. They are brilliant attorneys. My late husband was a Marine, and they are big supporters of veterans programs. Super excited that we're going to have them in the studio next week to talk about mediation, because obviously with the court shutting down, that became a huge part of their business. So until then, please follow me, Wendy Ross, and Veracity Real Estate Co. on Instagram and LinkedIn. And of course, listen to our podcast wherever you most like to listen to podcasts.